All right, so we get to uh, talk about the physical part of the relationship, which I know has been everybody's favorite, so it's not going to be awkward or uncomfortable at all in here this morning. No, I'm sure it will be. It's part, of, it's part of the role. Part of the role. All right. So, uh, but what we're going to talk about this morning is, is just kind of finishing out this triangle. We talked about the spiritual side of things. We talked about the emotional side of things. We talked about uh, all those those things in great detail, especially with the spiritual side being the, the most important part of the foundation for biblical relationships. And so now we're going to get to that physical part of the relationship and, and some of those physical guidelines that we need to follow personally in order to have a good godly relationship. But before we begin with that, I want you guys to go ahead and help me out with this triangle. So somebody give me the first one and give me in your own words why it's important and what the whole idea is with that part of the triangle. Can you go for it? Yes. Yep. Physical obviously changes. Yep. Usually. But if you base things off of your relationship with God, then your relationship will stay the same as long as you're both walking with Him. Yes. And as born again believers, this has to be the first thing that we focus on. But when it comes to the world's way, what do they do? It's like the last, if they ever get around to it. And I gave you plenty of examples of that, but you guys know this. I mean, the things you see at school, maybe some of the relationships you guys have been in over the years that when it, when it comes around to it, the spiritual side of things is always the last part that people want to talk about. When it needs to be the very first thing, the very, very first thing, it's the part of you that will never change because God never changes, but it needs to be the foundation of your relationship. And so a good idea in that realm, and just applying this out, is, uh, is that, I mean, someone who's not born again can't even be an option for you to date. Like, it can't even be an option. Like, it has to be automatically out of your mind that I am not going to date someone who's lost. And I know for some of you that might seem like that's like, well, that's harsh. No, it's not. Think about your future. Do you know what's at stake here? You're talking about building a future family because dating leads to marriage. marriage. Eventually, you have the engagement part in there somewhere. Dating leads to engagement and engagement leads to marriage. And so whoever you date is going to become the person that you're possibly going to marry. And people don't, they don't think on those terms. You know the, the stupid saying, I hope it gets stuck in your head and it plagues you for years. Every date is a potential mate. Every single date is a potential mate. You have no idea if that person is going to be the person that you're going to marry, but you need to think on those terms. So that person cannot even be an option for you. Secondly, just because they say they're born again or they say they're a Christian does not necessarily mean that you should date them. You should never date someone based upon their potential. Never date someone based on their potential because potential is just that. It's potential. It's not reality. It's what they could become. And you can't be dating someone based on what they could become. You, base, you date someone based on who they are. And so those things take time. And unfortunately, because I know this, because I was a teenager and I still struggle with it at times, we are impatient people. And we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait for what's best. We want to wait for what's in front of us. And what's in front of us is not always what's best. All right, so we got that part of the triangle. What's the second part? No, uh. Emotional. Yes. That's basically like once you've passed the spiritual thing, it kind of helps that you like the person. Yeah. And because it'd be kind of bad if you both hate each other. Right. It's kind of pointless. Though. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would not be, that would not be, uh, not be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you can base relationships solely on the spiritual side of things, but it does help if you kind of like each other. The things that you have in common. I mean, you know, that's part of human nature. All right. So this is the part of you that does change over time, right? So the things that you liked five years ago are not the things that you like now. 
you have different interests, different hobbies, different things like that. Some things that you keep throughout your entire life, and that's pretty normal. But this part of you changes over time. You can never base a relationship on the emotional side. Many people do this, and it does not work out because people change. The family dynamics change. You know, I've, I've spent some time, Megan and I were just talking about this not too long ago, that when she got married, and especially once she had kids, there's parts of her that she lost. She just did because she had to change. And becoming a wife and a mother, her identity completely changed. And there's things that she used to do that she just can't do anymore. And part of her misses that, but then part of her enjoys who she's become too. You know, she used to be like really into rock climbing, really into rock climbing. Well, she did that once, like I think the kids were, I forget, it was only a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, but she went rock climbing again and she had not done that for years, but that was something that she grew up with and that she loved. I mean, for her graduation present, her dad flew her out to Yosemite and they camped out for a week in Yosemite and they did rock climbing like crazy and she loves that. Well, that's part of her that's now gone because we just don't do that. As a wife and a mother, you just don't have time to do those things anymore. And so part of you changes. Your identity changes because of your relationship with people. And so this is a part of you that you cannot date someone or marry someone based upon the emotional side of the things you have in common. They're good, and that's great, and they may attract that person, but it's never going to last. There's things that are going to change. And then lastly, what we're going to talk about today is the physical. So we're going to spend some time talking about this today, and, um, and I, w- I want to get into this because I-, I think it's very, very important. But it was really neat yesterday just to have an example of this. So yesterday, uh, Brandy's cousin got married, and uh, Joe and Jean at their wedding, and I was sitting on the side because Megan and I sang a song uh, during the Unity Candle, and I was just reminded of this yesterday, of the whole physical side of the relationship. And before you even get to this point in your life, before you, you come to the point where they are exchanging their vows at this moment, and they are promising their, their unconditional love towards each other, that before you get to this point, you have to make sure 100%, 110% that the person that you're going to marry is walking with the Lord. And that was one of the themes that they spent time talking about in their wedding. Because there came a point where they broke up a couple different times because, for one, Gina, she got to the point where she's like, you know what, I'm done messing around. I need to start walking with the Lord. And Joe was unsaved. And so she broke up the relationship because he was unsaved. And that was a big deal because how long were they dating, Brandy, at that point? Ten years. Long time. Yeah. Ten years. So what ended up happening was is that he had the chance to really reevaluate and say, where am I really at? But he came to the point on his own, not because he wanted to marry Gina, that he wanted to get saved. And he got saved. But just because he got saved doesn't mean they were going to get back together. And so they went through a huge testing time. But eventually they got to the point where like, you know what, this is true, this actually happened in his life. And then they got engaged and then they worked towards getting married and they're both being discipled right now and things are going really, really well. But this is the kind of stuff you need to start thinking about because the person that you date, this is the end of that. This is the conclusion of that relationship is this physical marriage relationship. So for those of you that are dating right now, think about that. Are you at a place where you could look at that person in the eye on that day and say yes? And if you cannot say yes, what are you doing? Because that's the thing for me I had to think really, really hard about. I was not going to start dating someone if I did not think that I could 
absolutely positively marry that person because I would be wasting my time and their time. I'd be wasting my emotional savings account, if you want to call it that way, because I was a very, I am a very sensitive guy. I just always have been. I've always liked girls ever since I was little. I mean, I could go down through the list starting in before kindergarten of girls that I liked. <laughs> I could. It's weird. But I've, always, I've never thought girls had cooties. I've never been afraid of them. I've always liked them. And so for me, when I was committed to a girl, I was committed. And when those relationships, I've only seriously dated maybe three girls in my entire life. And those girls that I dated, I saw myself walking down the aisle and, and marrying that girl. And when it broke off, that was a serious emotional investment that I had lost that I could never get back. This is a big deal. Students don't think it's a big deal because it's all about how that person makes me feel at that point in time and they don't realize that's what it leads to and they're not thinking about that day. And so we need to spend some time talking about that today. So talking about the physical side of the relationship. The first thing that you have to really, really get is on the physical guidelines because everybody starts physical first. They're attracted to the physical first, um, typically in relationships. Sometimes relationships are, they start because of the physical nature of that relationship. So people begin dating because they, you know, who knows, they spend time together, they start holding hands or they start making out or they have sex or whatever. And that begins the relationship. That's how the world looks at things. And that is not how you can look at things. It's completely different, completely different. So the first thing that we have to talk about is, is that do I understand the importance of being sexually pure? Now you have to, in order to stay within the proper biblical guidelines on the physical side of your relationship or a potential relationship, you have to understand the importance of being sexually pure. You have to. So let's start off with a couple different verses here. Let's go to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13. And someone look up a verse for me, 1 Corinthians 6 9. Kent, you got that one. 1 Corinthians 6 9. Kent's got that one. Everyone go to Hebrews 13 and take a look at verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Okay, so we're going to read verse 5 here in a second, but I just want to look at verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. You know, we live in a culture where marriage is frowned upon. In fact, a lot of people that um, they get older, they don't believe in marriage anymore. And so they just stop. They, they, they don't even do that. They just start living together. And they're like, well, I don't need to be married to someone in order to be committed to them. Okay. I get your point. But that's all it is. is it's just a point. God has ordained something very, very special in the bond of marriage. It's very, very important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to understand that God says marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is something that is very honorable in the eyes of God when it's done right. And that's why he says, in the bed undefiled. The ideal picture is that a man and a woman, they are undefiled in their marriage bed. And when they come together in their physical union, that they are able to consummate their marriage in purity. That's God's standard. Now, that's not a shocker to anybody. And there's a lot of people that are offended by that. But that's what the Bible says. 
marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. And then it explains, but whoremongers, this is the flip side, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So if you are not going to be in a position where you can honor God in your marriage and your bed is defiled, then you are a whoremonger and adulterer. There's really no like gray area with this. It's one way or the other. And it is possible to make mistakes and to go back, but I'm telling you, it's really hard. It's really hard to cross the line and then walk your way back. I've been in that position before, and that's actually what ended my, one of my relationships, and I had to end that one. Because we had crossed the line, and I wanted to go back, and I wanted to start over. And we even spent like three or four months apart, and I wanted to go back, and I expressed this to her, and she did not want to go back. And because she did not want to go back, she did not respect my wishes or my convictions or my desires before the Lord, and I knew she really didn't care about me. She said she loved me, but I didn't believe it. Because if she really loved me, she would have respected my wishes to go back and to start over, and she didn't. So it was over. It was over, and that was really hard. But I had to end that relationship. And I'm such a loyal person that that was very, very hard for me. That's the only relationship that I ended. Every other relationship I was in, they ended it with me. Except for Megan. Because I married her. But anyway. But that's the way I am. That's the way I am. I'm a very loyal person. But I knew that when it came to that point that I had to end that relationship. Because she really didn't care about me. But then look at verse 5. So marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I love how these two verses are side by side. A lot of people might carve out verse 4, but they don't really throw it in the context of verse 5. So when it comes to your marriage bed, keeping yourself pure, God says in verse 5, listen, let your life be without covetousness. So don't be desiring other things that other people have. And be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So your relationship with God should be enough to keep your marriage bed undefiled. That's what he's saying here in context. He should be enough. God should be so important to you that you would never even come close to crossing the line when it comes to sexual matters. And I'm telling you, this is something that's hard for us because we struggle with this. I've struggled with it. I still struggle with it at times, even though I'm married. It's nothing that just goes away once you get married. You still struggle with lust. You still struggle with physical things. And so God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So be content with me, and then he will help you to stay pure. That's God's recipe on how to actually do that. So... Do I really understand the importance of being sexually pure? God places a great amount of honor upon the pure relationship between a husband and a wife. And so we need to make sure that we put a bunch of honor on that as well. Now, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Go ahead, Kent. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Okay. Yeah, no, that's right. You can leave it there. So that first part where he says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. God places such a great importance upon sexual purity that he says, listen, people that participate in these sorts of things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. That's not what it's saying at all. But there are elements of a future inheritance that you could forfeit. Because the kingdom of God is not visible. It's invisible. And there are rewards that you're going to miss out on in the future if you compromise in those particular areas. So it's something that's very, very important in the eyes of God. Now, why is it so important in the eyes of God? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
why does God place such a huge importance on this marriage relationship and being pure? Because this is something that's very hard for Christians. It's very, very hard for Christians. Most couples that come in for marriage counseling have messed up physically before they even come to that point where they're getting marriage counseling, premarital counseling. It shouldn't be that way, but it is, and it does. So we need to understand the importance of being sexually pure. All right, so we know this chapter, we've gone through this a lot, but I just want to read through this, and I want to give you a couple points here. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. All right, so right out of the gate, he is making a correlation here between the husband being like Christ and the wife being like the church. All right, so get that in your mind as he kind of goes back and forth between all these details. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular still love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So what's weird about this is that if you slowly work your way through verse 22 through 33, he goes back and forth. Like he says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, like Christ. And wives, like the church. Because there's Christ in the church, and then there's the husband and the wife. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So this tells you something that is absolutely so important. God places such a great importance and honor upon the pure relationship between a husband and wife because the husband and the wife are the physical picture of the gospel. They are. They are the physical picture of the gospel. The husband, the male in the relationship, is Jesus Christ. The wife, the girlfriend that you're dating, is like the church. And they two together need to have a pure relationship. Because Christ doesn't cheat on us. Does he? No. And the church ought not to be cheating on him and being sexually inappropriate, right? Because one of the concepts you guys need to realize in your own heart is that if you are going out and let's say you struggle with, with, with this kind of stuff. If you struggle with you know, with physical stuff, with, with pornography, with maybe another person or just entertaining thoughts in your mind or anything physical like that. If you struggle with that, the reason why you struggle with that is because your heart, spiritually, you're committing adultery already with the Lord. Because every time, I, my dad has said it and I've thought about it and I've thought about it over the years and it's so true, physical adultery or physical fornication, there's something that, that precedes that. And that is spiritual fornication, spiritual adultery. The reason why couples cheat on one another is because they're not walking with the Lord. Because physical adultery cannot really happen until spiritual adultery happens first. So you get your heart right with the Lord, and you'll stop struggling with things sexually. You will, every time. 
Anytime that I tend to go that direction in my mind or in my heart, there's something spiritually that I'm not taking care of in my life. That's my testimony. Every single time, that is my testimony. And so that's why I need to make sure that I am walking with the Lord and that he has my heart and I have his. Because when that happens, I'm not going to cheat on him. I'm going to want to have a good relationship with him. We're going to be on the same page about everything. And so that's why we talk to you guys all the time about being in your Bible and praying and spending time with him and and ministering and doing the work of the Lord. Because when you're doing those things, you don't have time to be stepping out on God. You don't have time to be messing around with the things of this world and cheating on your Savior. Because you're so in love with him. And, and, And for good reason, too. I mean, does God, I mean, do you deserve God's love and his compassion in your life? I deserve his wrath. I deserve him to throw me in the deepest, darkest pit of the lake of fire. I mean, that's what I deserve. And yet he has extended his hand toward me. And he has blessed me beyond anything that I ever deserve. How could I ever walk out on him? And when I do that and I think about that kind of stuff, it tears me up. Because I think about what I do to him and his heart and how much he's loved me and how much he's forgiven me. And then it makes you want to be even closer to him. And so those of you that have never really wrestled with this kind of stuff, it's no wonder why you're still flopping around spiritually. Because you don't realize the importance of being sexually pure and how that correlates with your spiritual life. Because it says in chapter 1 of Ephesians, go back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is how you get saved. In verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So what I love about this is this is what it's like. So when you are saved through the gospel, you are now engaged unto Jesus Christ. That's what it says. This verse 14 where it says the earnest of our inheritance We were sealed, according to verse 13, with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the moment that you are born again, the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, you are saying yes to him. I want to marry you. He has proposed, and you've said yes. That is the gospel. When you receive the gospel and you believe it, then he gives you an engagement ring, and that engagement ring is the Holy Spirit of God. And he's never going to break off that engagement with you. He's never going to break it off with you. He's given you that Holy Spirit of promise as that engagement ring, as a promise that he's coming back for you to be with you physically. That's what it says. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That redemption of the purchased possession, that is the day that you see him face to face. Diego, your great grandma. She is now redeemed. Like she was redeemed, but now she is redeemed. Because she's with him face to face. That's what we're talking about here. And so when you are here in this world, you are engaged to Jesus Christ. That would be like, okay, imagine yourself engaged to the person you're going to marry. And so instead of being faithful and pure to that person, you then spend your time entertaining other men, other women, other things, physically stepping out on the person that you're engaged to. Can you even imagine that? I'd imagine that would not go over too well. I'd be pretty sure that you'd want to, or that other person would want to break off their engagement with you. How do you think Jesus feels when we spiritually do stuff like that to him? 
So there is a great importance placed upon sexual purity because it is the physical, the literal physical picture of the gospel. And so when you are not pure sexually, even if you're by yourself, when you're not pure sexually, you are marring the picture of the gospel that this world needs to see. Because how many people do you know are living pure, are dating pure, and are able to marry pure? I mean, would it be like kind of like this? I mean, out of all the people that you know, you have all this, and then the people that are actually doing it the right way might be like this. If that. Because that's how I see it. Very few people are in the minority where they're willing to actually do this thing right. But here's the reality. The lost world is looking for every excuse that they possibly can to not trust the Lord, and to not believe the gospel. And when you and I do stuff like this, where we refuse to be here in the minority, and we choose to be like everybody else, even if it's only in a couple realms, but especially in this particular area, they are looking at that. They're waiting for you to fall so that way they don't have, they don't have this, like, because right now there's no excuse. There's no excuse for them not to believe the gospel. But if you step out of here, into here, now they have a reason not to believe. Well, you say you love God, and then you're going out and you're doing that. I've shared this with you before. I mean, when I was in high school, I was, I was a junior, and I remember even before that, but even as a junior, that I had so many people saying, oh, you've, you've, never, you've never kissed a girl? Like, no, just my mom. That's it. <laughs> and they were like, they, some of them made fun of me, but then some of them were like, well, I actually respect that. And so there's kind of a mix in between those two. You've never kissed a girl? No. Why not? And I would be able to talk to him about it. They were blown away. And then my senior year, I was the class president, had a great opportunity to finish really well, and I blew it. I was here, and then I stepped out here. And there might be people that may have never known, they may never know for the rest of my life. But I know, I know now, and I blew my testimony because now I was a walking hypocrite because I said I believed this, but then I stepped out here and I gave the enemy a reason to blaspheme. I gave people a reason not to believe. Because I didn't understand the importance of being sexually pure. I marred that gospel picture. A man and a woman should be able to stay pure until the day that they are married for the sake of the gospel. This world needs to see that picture of the gospel. And it is such an incredible opportunity for you guys to be able to do that. Such an incredible opportunity. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see this before we move on to the next point. Because this is the big point. This is the big point that I want you guys to really, really get because this defines everything else. 1 Corinthians 6. Okay. And this will help those of you, especially if you're, if you're tempted to date a lost person or if you're dating a lost person right now or if you're dating someone who really has a shaky, shaky testimony. All right. So... Um, I've memorized these verses um, over the years, and I need to go back to them all the time. Because if I forget them, then I'll go back to my old ways. Verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, I don't really struggle with food. I'm okay with that. Now, here's the whole point. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. If you would just understand that principle, it would help you so much, so much with fornication. Your body was not made for fornication. 
your body was not made to do things outside the bonds of marriage that are restricted only for marriage. Your body was not made for that. It was not even made for purity per se. Because look what it says. But for the Lord. Your body was made for the Lord. It was made for him. For his purposes, his will. Not your own. And that's the idea. Fornication is the pleasure of yourself. Even people, when they, they commit fornication together, it's not for the other person. It's for themselves. Right? It's for themselves because it makes them feel good. They say they care about that person. Baloney. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it to fulfill their own lustful desires. So they are treating their bodies. The purpose of my body is for fornication. It is for my own pleasure, my own good. Where the Bible says right here, it is for the Lord. It's not for fornication. It's for the Lord. It's for his honor, his glory, his pleasure, not yours. And the Lord for the body. That's interesting. It's also flipped. So, I mean, this, this, this is like a huge, huge key that you guys need to get. It's flipped. Your body was made for him, but he exists for you. So it's not like he owns you and somehow God's trying to hold out stuff for you. No, no, no. You are made for him and he exists for you. This is, a, this is almost like a symbiotic relationship between you and God. This, there's this, this codependency spiritually that it's made to be this way. You, your body was made for him and he exists for you. You find your fulfillment in him, in following what he wants you to do. And, and, and those of you, and I've said this before, those of you that, that have, have taken the opportunity to go and serve God and to follow God's will and to do what God wants you to do, man, there is nothing like it. You are actually doing what you were designed to do. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you, when you are in that place, there is no better place to be. All right, let's keep going. Verse 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Okay, so you, if you're born again, you are part of the body of Christ. And so then he correlates it to a harlot. Now, this harlot could be all sorts of different things. In the context of what we're talking about, we're talking about it being like a lost person. But in general, it could even be a saved person, but we're talking about a lost person. So are you going to take... Jesus Christ, you are members, you are a member of the body of Christ. So when you commit fornication, and let's say you have an opportunity to have sex with uh, with somebody else. If you are a member of Christ, when you participate in sexual activity with another person, or even for yourself for that matter, because you're looking at things that are impure, when you take when you take part in that activity, you are bringing Jesus Christ into that physical union. Have you ever thought about that? And maybe, I hope none of you have this testimony, but if you have had the opportunity to have sex and you have gone through with it, and you are born again, you have trusted Christ as your savior, you are part of the body of Christ and you have joined Jesus Christ unto that thing. I think that if we were to think this way, because that's what the Bible says, we would stay pure. Because how dare we bring Jesus Christ into that union, right? Does he belong there? Is he worthy to participate in that kind of behavior? No. So what in the world are you doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing that? You belong to him. Your body belongs to him. He exists for you. And then you put your body in that circumstance? 
you don't understand the importance of being sexually pure. Because it says, verse 16, rightfully so, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So when you have sex with a person, you are intimately connected with that person, and there's something that happens in your spirit that bonds you to that person. That's what the Bible says. Because marriage, yep, you can go through all the religious ceremony, and you can go through all the different promises and the exchanging of rings or whatever, but until you have consummated that marriage, Jewish in Jewish terms, you're not married. Like, it did not happen. Like, the marriage was not legitimate until you consummated that marriage because two shall be one flesh. And there's something that happens in that physical union between two people that they, their spirits are now bonded together. And you, being a part of Christ, you are now bonding Christ to that union. And that's why it says in verse 17, but he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. So if you are born again, you are one spirit with God. And then that other person that you're going to be with, if you join yourself to them physically and you're intimate with them, you now are joining your, yourself and Jesus, the spirit of Christ, with that other person. This is why, this is why two people, one person cannot be saved and the other be lost and you be married and it's going to work out. The way it's supposed to work is that you have one person that trusts Christ as their Savior. They walk with Him. They spend time with Him. They can never lose that salvation. The other person has trusted Christ as their Savior. And then they have a really, you start that relationship and you get closer and closer. You have that physical union of marriage. Now you have this person in the body of Christ, this person in the body of Christ, and they are physically joined together. That is appropriate. That's the way it's supposed to be. That is when Christ is blessed. That's when he is honored. That goes back to the Hebrews 13, the marriage bed undefiled. That's what he's looking for. That's why I say all the time, lost people cannot even be an option. They can't even be an option for you. Not because we set up some rule or standard. No, we're talking about Jesus Christ here. We're talking about the marriage relationship that is supposed to bless him, supposed to honor him, supposed to uphold him, supposed to be that picture of, this, of the gospel, of, of what salvation even means. And people just throw it away. They just completely just throw it away. They don't have no idea what they're even doing. See, we have to think about things that way. Because when you understand the importance of being sexually pure, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so you have to ask yourself, do you want to be a blessing to God? Do you want to bless his heart? Well, then you need to do things right. And if you don't care about blessing God's heart, well, then you've got some major issues. You've got some major spiritual issues that you need to deal with. Either you're not saved because you just don't care, or you're so callous because you've spent so much time away from him that you don't even understand what's up and down anymore. Okay, so that's the first point. Whew. All right, we got that out of the way. All right, so do I understand the importance of being sexually pure? It is a big one. This is the foundation of the whole physical part of the triangle. And so the next thing is, and this is the next just logical place with this, am I keeping myself pure? Am I keeping myself pure? So if I understand the importance of being sexually pure, am I keeping myself pure? And that means in your deeds and in your thoughts. Because thoughts lead to deeds every time. Your thoughts lead to deeds every single time. So you need to make sure that you're keeping yourself pure in your deeds and in your thoughts. Now let me show you a controversial verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. People don't like this verse, but it's true because the Bible says it. You need to think about this. Because I remember when my youth pastor back in the day shared this verse with me, and, uh, and I wanted to fight against it. 
but now I understand a lot more now. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Okay. So the Bible says that it is not good for a man to touch a woman. What does that mean? It is not good for a man to touch a woman. Guys, why? <laughs> yes. Guys and girls are different. Guys are very physical. We are very physically minded. And I'm telling you, and some girls aren't that way, some girls are. But I'm telling you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Because the one thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. And that's what happens with guys. One goes to two, two goes to three, goes to four, goes to five. And it's just, that's the way we work. It's just the way we work. Some ladies are not like that. I don't understand you. Because <laughs> I'm a guy and you're a girl. But there's some girls that struggle with the exact same thing. One goes to the next. And it's never enough. It's never enough. You always want more. So the Bible says very clearly, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I'm not saying you can't hold hands. I'm not saying you can't, but you just, you have to know your limitations. You got to know, you got to know when you, you, you just got to know. And if you don't know, well, then you need to figure it out. You need to talk it through. Most people don't even talk about it. Couples in dating relationships, they don't talk about this kind of stuff. They don't, they just do. And then they might talk about it after when they have huge regret. That's what generally what happens. That's what happened with me. Because who wants to talk about the embarrassing sexual stuff? You know what I mean? Like even when I, when I give premarital counseling to couples and I talk to them, have you guys talked about things about your wedding night? And they're like, oh. And they don't want to talk about it. It's so funny. I'm like, you need to talk about it. This is part of communication. It is so important that if you're in a dating relationship that you sit down and you talk about things physically. You talk about it so you can be on the same page with stuff. So that way you know if you ever get into a circumstance where you are crossing a line, you know what those lines are. You've got to be able to know that. And if you can, this is the best rule to follow. It is good. He doesn't say you shouldn't touch a woman. It says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Because look at verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Okay. So that's one of the other purposes of the marriage relationship. In order to avoid fornication, because God knows us, and to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. And it talks about how the husband's body belongs to the wife and the wife's body belongs to the husband. And that's how it's supposed to work in the marriage relationship. But I at least wanted to show you that verse there because when it comes to your deeds, you need to know where is your line. You need to know your limitations and you dare not cross it because the gospel is at stake. So you need to keep yourself pure in your deeds. And there's more we can say about that. But we just don't have time. And you need to keep yourself pure in your thoughts. Go up to Job 31. Job 31. Am I keeping myself pure in my deeds and now in my thoughts? I remember when uh, Larry Lewis showed me this verse, and I would never forget it after that. It's become one of my memory verses that's helped me out tremendously. 
Job 31. Someone read verse 1. Noah, go for it. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon me? Okay, so Job's speaking here, but I love what he says here. I made a covenant with mine eyes. So he made a covenant of purity with his eyes, but then look at what he says. Why then should I, what's that word? Those of you that can read, read it. Think. Think. And say it out loud. Ready? Think. Okay. So he made a covenant with his eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? He didn't say, why then should I look upon a maid? Because that's what we would think. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? No. Why then should I think? Because it all starts in your mind. It starts with your thoughts. Because if your thoughts are not right, your deeds are not going to be right. And so you need to make sure that you understand that principle. Go over to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. All right, Psalm 101 in verse 3. Think about this one. This has some serious practical implications to it. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I love that part of the verse. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I like the way that finishes. So I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. So as far as wicked things, they shouldn't even be entering into the gates of my eyes. And then his heart behind it is what's after the colon. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. It doesn't say that he'll never participate. It says it shall not cleave. It means it doesn't become part of him. So he might go there, but then he realizes what he's doing, and then he hates it. It's not going to cleave to me. No, it's not going to be something that sticks in my life. It's not going to be something that I'm going to be known for. It's not going to be something that's part of my character. No, I'm done. And so then he says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Love that verse. So you got to ask yourself, am I keeping myself pure in my deeds and in my thoughts? And then the next point, am I daily mortifying the deeds of my flesh? Am I daily mortifying the deeds of my flesh? Um, go to 1 John 3 for this one. Colossians 3 gives us where it actually says mortify, but I want to give you the heartbeat behind it. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We belong in his family. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So I love these verses for a couple different reasons. Number one, understanding your identity, understanding that I belong to God. I, I have been shown favor and love from God, and now I am a son of God. And when I see him face to face, finally, I'm going to be like him. So it has this eternal perspective where you're looking forward into the future. You're looking toward uh, the person that you're going to be when you're with Christ for all eternity. Now look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him, in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
if you have that hope one day that you are going to see Jesus face to face, you're going to be with him, that you're going to be like him, that that's actually going to be reality for you, then you're going to want to purify yourself. Because how many of you want to keep doing the same things that you've been doing and you are not pure and you're defiled and then Jesus shows up? Like, don't you want to be ready to see him face to face? You'll especially understand this when you have people over to your house when you get older. And those of you that have parents and you have people over, I think you should understand it. We need to get everything cleaned. Get it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Clean your room. Clean the kitchen. Clean the bathroom. Clean, 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 clean. You want a clean house when people come over. Right? You should. Some of you may not care. I don't know. When you give a person a ride in your car... Do you want your car to be clean? Yes. Because you don't want to be known as the person that has just junk all over the place. It's embarrassing, right? You want to be looking good. Okay, translate that. Future, eternity. Jesus is about to call you home. He's about to step out of the clouds and call your name and rapture you out of here this afternoon. Don't you want to be ready? Or do you want to show up with dirty clothes? You want to show up with holes in your socks? <laughs> you want to show up with a wrinkled shirt? You want to show up with a massive amount of BO? You know what I'm saying? No. Are you kidding? We get dressed up for all sorts of things because we want to look good for certain occasions. I would think the best occasion in the world is to see Christ face to face. Do you not want to be dressed appropriately? Do you not want to smell good? Do you not want to do your best for him after all that he's done for you? Well, then start doing it now. Start doing it now. There are some stains in carpets and in clothing that, I mean, it takes work to get them out. And some of them, it's just flat out ruined and you got to throw them out completely. Some of us have stained our lives so stinking much that it would take us weeks and possibly months to clean it out in order for it to be ready to see Christ face to face. It should not be that way. It should not be that way. We should be ready today. We should be ready now. That's why it says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Because you want to be ready to see him face to face. So you should be willing to daily mortify the deeds of your flesh because you're going to see him face to face and you want to be ready. And then, we love this point, am I surrounded by faithful believers that keep me accountable? Do you have people in your life that you can actually go to, that you can actually go to and that you actually go to? That's another thing altogether. Do you have people in your life that you actually go to, that you talk to them about these issues? These issues are not fun to talk about, but I'm telling you, if you want to be ready and you want to make good decisions in your life, you should be talking to people in your life about these issues. I don't care how embarrassing it is. It was so hard for me to talk about this stuff with people in my life. I remember the first time that my my youth pastor just point blatant point blank just asked me a, a question on purity and I flat out just lied straight to his face because I was too embarrassed to tell him the truth. And I'm telling you, I was not able to deal with things properly in my life because I was not willing to be honest with him about it. And so if you really want this to keep plaguing you, then just kind of keep doing what you're doing and it's not going to go well. Or 
actually choose to deal with these things head on and talk to somebody about it. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you can talk to any one of your leaders, any one of them, and they will not make you feel bad about what you're doing. If they do, I will rip them a new one. Because I have struggled with these same things. And when I was willing to be honest about it and go and get help about it, I was ripped in half by my youth leaders. And it did not help. It did not help. I have huge scars now because they did not deal with it properly with me. And so I know that if someone's willing to actually be honest and deal with it, I don't have to hit them over the head with a ball bat. You don't walk into a hospital after someone's had a car accident because they were being stupid and you take a ball bat into the emergency room and just wail on them while they're in there in the bed, do you? You would be an idiot. You would be arrested (laughs) and for good reason. And so when people are willing to come forward with stuff and to be honest about stuff, you don't need ball bats. They need help. They need help and in order to work through these things. And I'm telling you, you've got to be able to do this. And so if you are not comfortable going to your parents about it, which most of you aren't with this topic, and I get it. I wasn't either. I'm telling you, there is a venue for you to go. And you need to take advantage of it. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting plagued by this stuff. And it's just never going to end. And it's only going to get worse. And it could be the very reason why you walk away from the Lord. Because you're not willing to actually deal with your sin. All right, you can look up those verses later. All right. Then lastly, am I attracted to someone who's pursuing the same things? Am I attracted to someone that understands the importance of being sexually pure? That they are keeping themselves pure? That they're mortifying the deeds of the body as a daily pattern? And they are surrounded by faithful believers that keep them accountable. All right, so the Bible places a great importance on physical purity. Great importance. Um, We're not in Job anymore, but you know what? Take a look at this. Go to Job really quick. I want you to see this. I read this this past week, and it was like a knife in my heart. Job. Job 31. Same chapter we were looking at. Job 31. Job 31, verse 9. Alright, so on the topic of being sexually pure, verse 9. If mine heart have been deceived by a woman... Or if I have weighed, laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another, and let others bow down upon her. For this is an heinous crime. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction, and would root out all mine increase. Oh. Okay, so it starts off, if mine heart, if I've been deceived, or if I've laid weight and I've laid weight upon my neighbor's door because they're just being, you know, they're, they have these lustful desires and they want to follow through on their lustful desires, then let my wife grind into another. I mean, that's exactly what it means. Then let my wife cheat on me with another man and let others bow down upon her. Let other people have sex with her. That's what it's saying right there in verse 10. And for this is a heinous crime, an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth the destruction and would root out all mine increase. The fastest way to root out all, all, all spiritual blessings in your life is to participate in fornication. Root out all your increase. That's like having a barn. Like you could spend years and years and years storing in a barn all these goods. And then you make one mistake and you light a match. 
let it go, and it just tears everything, and it's all gone. That's the power of sexual fornication in your life. You can live for 10 years and do everything great, everything fantastic, fantastic, and then all of a sudden make one bad decision, and it is all gone. That's what it's like. That was so convicting to me. So convicting. So the Bible places a great importance on, importance on physical purity. It is not only a sin against God that defiles the picture of the gospel that he desires to display through your life, but it is a sin against your body that was made in the image of God. When it comes to dating, always remember, if they are not concerned about protecting your purity, they do not care about protecting their own. And they are definitely not concerned about what the Lord thinks. You've got to remember that. If they're not concerned about protecting your purity, they don't care about their own, and they don't care about what God thinks. And they're not a person worth your time. I know that was super heavy, but it was necessary, and we're only going to spend one week on it, and so it's done. I think I've given you enough stuff to chew on for years. So next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, okay, we've talked about the whole triangle and what are the guidelines, but how do I actually do this? Like we asked ourselves questions and different things to make you think a little bit, but next week we're going to talk about how do I actually do this in my life? And so we'll talk about that next week, and then we'll be finished with our biblical relationship study. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and the things that it teaches us and what it tells us. And just God, I'm just so thankful for your patience towards me and my life and um, the things that I struggle with and the things that I have struggled with and and these sorts of things that, frankly, we all struggle with. And um, we just need to be reminded of these things and how important it is in your eyes. And we have too many Christians today that are just too too loose. They They make gray areas out of things that are clearly black and white in order to justify their behavior, in order to make themselves feel good, in order to excuse away their sin, when in reality it's something that is just blasphemy. It's something that has just ruined the entire picture of the gospel that you desire to display in their life. And I pray we take these things to heart. God, if there's anyone here in this room today that struggles with these particular matters, either by themselves or with another person, or there's just some baggage from past mistakes in their life that they've made, and I pray that they would be willing to... um, to just talk to one of us about it and really work some of these things out. And I pray they'd have the courage to do that. I know in my life, uh, things did not get really any better until I was willing to face them head on. And, uh, and I know that's the case. And this is such a hard topic to hit head on because it's just embarrassing and no one wants to talk about it. But there's a reason why no one wants to talk about it. I think our flesh and our enemy wants to keep us enslaved to these things. And so... Uh, our flesh is just feels so embarrassed and we don't want to talk about these things and I think that's intentional by the enemy. So I pray God that you would help us just to see things clearly and to do what's right because we love you and because we want to honor you. And so once again, God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and thank you for being so kind towards us and loving us despite our faults and our shortcomings. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.